Good morning. It's good to have you here as we continue to worship our awesome God. My name is Pastor Nate. I'm one of the pastors here along with Pastor Matt. If you're visiting with us, make sure to let us know that you're here and uh, say hello. Today we're just continuing on in our sermon series, taking a look at uh, church membership and healthy church and what that is. And uh, as we continue on in our series called Churchology, we started off this series by looking at what the church is and that the church is the bride of Christ, that she has been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which is what we've been singing about a lot today, which is the gospel. And we also learned about with Pastor Matt as we walked through the church as the temple of God and what that looks like. And over the last couple of weeks, we've taken a look at what are elders and what are deacons and what, are they, what do they do and what is the difference. And today we're continuing on in our sermon series as we take a look at church membership and what that is. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Romans 12, which is where we're going to be. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever uh, seen an MRI? Those things are neat, aren't they? I, I, it's, it's absolutely crazy that they can look inside your body without opening you up. It's absolutely amazing thing, but it penetrates, right? It penetrates the, the flesh and, and, and it exposes everything that is inside of you. I don't know. I've never had one personally, but just the idea of getting on that little tiny little table and being shoved through that tube, I don't know. But it is an amazing piece of technology. I was reminded about it the other day as my family and I were watching this show called Secrets of the Zoo, and I think every animal gets an MRI, which is crazy because we wait forever, uh, and these animals are just like, every day they're going to have an MRI. It's like, oh, we, some, some sort of spontaneous thing. They say, oh, we need an MRI. Like, if spontaneous for us is like three months. But what does an MRI do? It gets right behind all the surface stuff to see what is going on under the skin. And as we look at what healthy church membership looks like, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 as we see how healthy church membership shows what is happening in the inside of the church. And you're going to ask me, wait, pastor, what is membership, right? Because that's the follow-up question. What is membership? And let me tell you that. Church membership, and I think I go, oh, it's right there. Church membership is a commitment every Christian should make to attend, love, serve, and submit to a local church. And okay, I get that, but so what? Well, let me show you that too. Biblical church membership is important because it presents God's witness to himself in this world. It displays his glory. In the church's membership, those who don't know Jesus should see in the lives of God's changed people that God is holy and that he is gracious and that his gospel is powerful for saving and transforming sinners. This is what Kevin was talking about just moments before. So which brings me back to Romans 12. And Romans 12 shows us the impact of a people who know and experience the mercies of God. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to be starting right in verse 1 and going all the way to the end. I appeal to you, therefore. This is the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. 
by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace which is given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, in verse 9. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never Avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. As we take a look at Romans chapter 12, we're taking a look at uh, church membership and attitudes, really attitudes. Christian's attitude to God is what we'll be seeing in that first part in verses 1 to 2. And he comes out right off the bat in verse 1, and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore. You're like, whoa, therefore means we go back and take a look at what was said before. Hence, therefore. The previous 11 chapters are what Paul is addressing here. I appeal to you, therefore, and this is what we do. We look back to what Paul has said in these previous 11 chapters as he's laid out to the Roman church, to the church in Rome, of the mercies of God. Paul has spent 11 chapters just expounding upon the mercy that God has poured out upon those who were rebels and how he has called them to himself. By the mercy of God, it's this that he is appealing to his brothers in Christ at the church in Rome. And as we think about this, this letter and all epistles, all the letters, 
are written to a local church. So yes, they apply to the big C church, the universal church, but he is writing specifically to a local church. Context matters. And as he's calling them to do, he calls them to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, which means what? Not a dead one. Right? It's obvious, but it's important to make sure that we understand this. This is a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice like the sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament. This is a living sacrifice because they are alive in Christ. They were dead, and now they are alive. And even, and we see this in Ephesians 2, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We are a living sacrifice. We're called to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Every aspect to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, every part of your life, if it be at work or as you're making dinner for your family or if you're sitting there watching TV, whatever it may be, every part of your life is to be an act of worship, a living act of worship, living sacrifice to our God. Why? Because of all the mercies that God has poured out on you. What a perfect time to take a look at that. It's Thanksgiving, is it not? We can sit around and we can thank God for all the time, like family and food and all these things. But ultimately, for us as Christians, Thanksgiving is a time for us to reflect upon the mercies of God and what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, this is a warning right now to my family, is that I know that when we go spend time with our family, my parents my dad will ask the same question he asks every, every year. What are you thankful for? And we sit there and we go around the table and we reflect upon what that is. And as people who have experienced the mercy of God, we're not only called to be living sacrifice, not only our, only our whole life to be that, but our life is, our, 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 we're not to conform to the world around us, but be transformed. This is talking about an outward conformity and an inward transformation. Do not be conformed to what is outside of you, but inwardly be changed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you you are different for those who are in christ you have been introduced uh, into a world that is to come this is why more than ever we cry out lord jesus come quickly we long for it we long for a world that's not here and we've been transformed. And as, as a result of the renewing of our mind uh, is a discernment of God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect in everyday situations. Christian life is lived all out, not primarily in the hour or two that you come and sit in this pew, but in the 166 weekly hours spent at home, in your workplace, at school. See, verse 1 is a means by which a whole life can be lived for God. Every part, as you work, as you eat, as you sleep, as you're a student, as you're being single, as a husband, as a wife, as a mom and a dad. In Romans 11, verse 36, we see that giving glory to God is worship. And that is what the gospel enables those who are in Christ to do. 
to give our whole lives to God? Why can we give up everything to God? Because we have been given everything. There has to be a breaking from the world around us in its negative aspects. First John talks about this, allowing renewal and discernment. And from this, there is a life that is good and acceptable and perfect, that is useful to fulfill God's purposes. This is a change that happens to those who are in Christ. It's who you are. You can't be justified without being sanctified as much as you can't be sanctified without being justified. Sanctification is the inward spiritual work which the Lord Jesus Christ works in a man by the Holy Spirit when he calls him to be a true believer. He not only, Jesus not only washes us from our sin in his own blood, but he has also separates us from our natural love of sin. We should hate it because our minds are being renewed. We have a new heart and it allows us to live godly Lives that are pleasing to our Lord and Savior. See, the aim of the gospel is not merely a doctrinal truth, but lives that connect with God, delight in his will, and further his interest in glad communion with him. The marks of true Christianity are done only by the grace that God has poured out on us through his son, Jesus Christ. You can't fake it till you make it in Christianity. You can't. I think I've said this before. I remember listening to a, uh, a TED Talk, and the, and the speaker was talking about how uh, she had some mis- a lot of a sad story. But eventually, you know, she's got her Ph.D., and she's smart. And she's just like, at some point, you just got to fake it till you make it. And I went, no, that doesn't, that, that doesn't work. Eventually, what is inside of you does come out. And as we have our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit, what is inside, what is being renewed, will come out. Church membership is about the church presenting God's witness to himself in this world. It displays his glory. And as we attend and love and serve and submit to one another, when we commit to one another, we are reminded each other of the mercies of God that enables us to be this way. The Christian attitude towards God changes. And as we come together and commit to one another, that begins to, we can remind each other of those things, of the mercies that God has poured out on us. In verses 3 to 8, we see this Christian attitude in serving that comes through. Because in verse 3, it says, For by grace, the responsibility that has been given to Paul as he teaches and as he is an apostle. But all of this happens because of his grace. Everything that he is about to say is only possible because of the grace that God has poured on in his own life. It begins, God's grace begins with the cleansing from sin by Christ. As he died on the cross for his sin. God is holy. We have sinned against him. And because of that sin and that rebellion, we deserve hell. But Jesus Christ, he steps down from his throne to pay the price for our rebellion that we cannot possibly pay. So that anyone who repents of their sin and believes in the very gospel that Christ died for his sins and rose again will be saved. 
We have been what the Bible calls justified. And if you have been justified, you will be sanctified, which is the renewal that we saw in verse 2 that is done by the work of the Holy Spirit. As Romans 8.30 says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, it's through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that we have the measure of faith that God has assigned, as Paul says. If you are in Christ, each one of you has been given a portion of trust in Christ that you possess, that you nurture, and are dedicated to pursue. And as we keep working through this by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we keep working through this, this, this verses, the verses that follow are, are the different forms of that faith that begin to shine through. Verse 4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Growing up in Sunday school, I remember my Sunday school teacher asking this question. What would it be like if we were all a hand? Right? A would look really funny. Um, which reminds me of Spy Kids, the movie. Um, but we are, yeah, I know, right? Someone's watched it. Yeah, you and me, Martin, you and me. <laughs> That's it. But we can't do it. These verses describe this the sanctity of unity in diversity among members of the church. God wills and unifies and directs this diversity and its expression. uh, Graced with divine wisdom, Paul uses the integrated human body, yet diversity of our body parts, to paint a picture for us. We need every single part of our body to function properly. I remember uh, years ago, I was going to say a few years ago, but now we're on decades. Um, I dislocated my knee doing something very dumb. And, and, I dis- and you know how hard it is to get around with a bummed knee? I will take a bummed arm over a leg any day. And I was a student, so I had to walk. And I was walking like 30 minutes a day with my brace on going like this, right? You know? It is hard even in our own bodies, to not function without a part of our body. Every part of it is there for a reason. If it's our fingers or our legs or toes, right? If you ever read through the Old Testament, you see kings that get captured and they chop off their, their big toes. You're like, why would they do that? Well, they can't run without your big toe. We need each part of our body. And Paul uses this picture of how we are many members, and many members don't have all the same functions. Though we, many are one body in Christ, they individually members one to another. The human body has different parts that do not all function in the same way. And Paul says it just like the church, the one body in Christ called the church is made up of multiple individuals. We are called together, yet they are different. And we are also members one of another. 
they form a coherent, unified social organism. And the word church is used to, to, in two different ways when we see it in the Bible, universal and local. But here he's talking about local church as he's writing this letter to the local church. And Paul is writing to, to them and he's saying, look, you're all different. You all have different gifts. You, and one is not better than the other. You all need each other in order to function as the body of Christ, whom he is the head of. And the body of Christ, the body is in Christ. And it reminds us that Christ is the living presence holding the body together. Even our unity, or lack thereof, is a sign of us being in Christ or not. It's important, right? Jesus prays about it in John 17. Paul talks about it here and in numerous other places. We pray for it as a church every day that we would have unity and misdiversity with people whom we have nothing in common yet but the gospel. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Just look around the room. Different ages, different ethnicities, different everything. Different likes. Yet we all come together to worship our awesome God, to serve one another to function together because Christ is our head. But, Jesus, or, but Paul comes along in verse 5 and he says, members one of another. We have been joined to Christ by faith and our members of this church are also members one of another. With this privileged relationship come particular responsibilities. We must maintain mutual transparency and honesty. We must rejoice in each other's honor and bear one another's sorrows. We must discreetly confess our sins to one another. We must mutually oversee each other and faithfully admonish and encourage one another. Avoid all of that backbiting and gossip that is counter to the unity and why Paul is so adamantly against it and, so, and Jesus is too. Also, we must when necessary, help meet those material needs of our brothers and sisters. This all comes through as we are individually members one to another. We are committed to one another. In church membership, we are committing to one another. You know, some people say, some of the, the, the cool churches use the word, instead of church membership, they use covenant. We are covenanting with one another. Let me tell that's an even stronger word. There's a promise there. That's like when we get married, I covenant with my wife. It's not something we mess around with. It's through the thick and the thin. We care for one another. We love one another. We submit to one another. In verse 6, he continues on, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. See, something that's reminded me of this passage in verse 6 is that Christians aren't consumers. We're not. We're not supposed to be, at least. The whole concept of sitting in a pew on a Sunday and not being involved in the family of God is not in the Bible. Consumers, Christians aren't consumers. We are contributors. And that can't happen without the local church. You can't do it if you don't belong to a church. And as he continues on, this list he has here, this list isn't a precise list, but it gives us an idea of what we are to do with these. 
and, and how we have been gifted in different ways. And we are to use these by the mercies of God as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's interesting. We're all gifted in different ways, right? And I love it. I think of our deacons board. Like, I, I, I really don't like budgets. I've used this before. And, and Keith's probably rolling his eyes at me right now. I'm just not going to look over there. It's true. I, just, I, I, I think it's important. It's just not my cup of tea. It's like, yay, spreadsheets. No, I, I just don't. I don't care. But we need that. And it's important. So important. We all have different gifts and desires and giftings, and God brings us together to use them. I don't play the piano. Thank God Mark's here. Right? So he can play the piano, which enables us to sing in a certain way. We praise God for these gifts that God has done. And one is not more important than the other. Paul makes that very clear here, right? Those who do acts of mercy do it cheerfully, he says. When we have known the mercies of God, there is a change in our attitude on how we use our gifts in serving one another and worshiping our awesome God as living sacrifices. It's why a church that devours each other is, is, is so detestable to God. It's why you aren't allowed to sit in the pew idly by and not serve. Because even your gifts have been given to you as a gift of grace and you've been called into a local church to exercise those gifts as an act of worship. The gospel doesn't make people who just want to watch but mobilizes them, those who hear it, to make a difference for others as God has made a difference in them. We love as he loves us. We serve as he has served us. But it's not just who we interact with one another that matters, but also our attitudes in the rest of our lives. As we say in, verse, in verses 9 to 21, the Christian attitude in life, in living life. But before I get there, I do firmly believe that God has gifted us with everything right here, right now, in order to be a church. Every gift that is you, there that God uses to build up the church is here right now in this room. I do believe Ephesians 4 is true. It's in the Bible. I believe the Bible to be true. Hopefully, right? Ephesians 4 verse 12 says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building of the body of Christ. We've all been gifted in certain ways for the building of of the body of Christ. Our attitudes change. But our Christian attitudes in living just life in general change as well in verses 9 to 21. Wow, you can't read that at all. Oh, it's different. Sorry. <laughs> we have this attitude that changes in verses 9 to 21. In verse 9, he comes along and he says this, 
Let love be genuine. Meaning, don't be a hypocrite. As one who has experienced the mercies of God, let your love be true. Let it not be full of hypocrisy. But then he begins to define what that love looks like. He says this, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Genuine love requires that we abhor what is evil. It means that if I see my brother or my sister in the Lord continuing in a habitual sin, I will deal with it, not because I want to get above them and make them feel small, but because I love them. Abhorring what is evil. If I truly want to love, I abhor the things that God abhors, but it also means that I hold fast to what is good. It also says, love one another with a brotherly affection. This is a love between believers uh, that takes the form of uh, Philadelphia, a brotherly love. Which I've seen this show called Parking Wars that's based in Philadelphia, and they don't live up to that statement. When the church is loving each other this way, they are expressing an affection that is a true devotion and not objective detachments. There is an emotional bond that, impl- that is implying here. I care for you like I would my own siblings. I love you. Let us love one another with a brotherly affection. Something is deeply wrong when believers feel feel less care for each other than they do for their household dog or cat. Can we agree on that? I understand pets are important. But I should have more affection for my brothers and sisters in the Lord and the church that I have. It's this type of love that pushes us to outdo one another, to love, to, put, to, to keep showing that exemplary behavior and to honor one another in service that leads others to do the same. Titus 2, 7 says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Titus and he's telling him to show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. As he continues on, in verse 12, we are people who rejoice because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Nothing can take that away from us. Sometimes we need to remind each other of that. That's why we come and we gather on Sundays. That's why we should meet together throughout the week, because this week is tough. A pandemic is hard. We're all tired. We need to be reminded of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And what he has done. That nothing, this hope cannot be taken away from us. No man can take it away. No sickness, nothing can take it away from us. We are in Christ. We have a hope. And this is the hope that allows us to be patient in tribulation and brings us to our knees during those times. This is a love that causes us to seek the needs of those in our local church and to seek to show hospitality towards one another. As he talks about in verse 13, hospitality, there's a reason why uh, elders are required to be hospitable. Because it exemplifies Christ, right? But we're all called to be hospitable to one another. 
because we've all experienced the mercies of God. We can, because of our experience of God's mercies, bless those who persecute us. Just as Jesus says in Matthew 5, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow, that's tough, eh? Or in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. It can be very tempting to answer persecution with venom and spleens, right? But the gospel calls for and enables a higher way. As people who are transformed by the Holy Spirit, we're able to love differently. This is what we are doing. Our world uses the word love a lot. A lot. And it's almost always wrong. Almost always. You see it on the TV shows, right? I love you, they say to one another. But they're really just trying to get something out of that relationship. So they say, I love you. But God here, through Paul, describes what love truly is. Let us be that type of people because we've experienced that. May we be a church that cares for one another. May we be a church, as verse 16 says, lives in harmony with one another. If you have spent any time being in the church, any time, there can be some havens of strife. Paul fears this for his, the Roman church. Love, though, makes living in harmony with one another possible. Granted, sometimes divisions have to be endured, addressed, and transcended. The gospel in one's life should eliminate or at least minimize that haughtiness, attitude, and behavior. When we commit to one another, we are seeking to live in harmony with one another. And in doing so, we also repay no evil for evil. I remember as a youth pastor, I used to give my kids this lecture every time, every single time. I say, guys, because I was in the guys' dorm, obviously. I say, guys, um, I get even. I don't get mad, but I get even. So if you have something that you're going to plan to do that's going to try and prank me, that's fine. But keep this in mind, I can drive. And I have money. I have bigger resources, and I can buy bigger things because I'm older than you. And then I would just say, I don't get angry. I get even. But generally, obviously, in that sense, sense, it's never even. It's usually how much more we can up it. I said those speech so well that they never did anything to me. I was in there for 11 years. They did nothing. They did to other people, though, poor people. (laughs) But we are to live peaceably as much as possible. Living peaceably doesn't mean compromising non-negotiable truths of our faith. We believe the Bible is true, and we should stand on that. And we should fight for that. We should not compromise on that truth at all. But we do... Live peaceably with one another, giving way to practice or customs that go against what the Bible says. Our culture has some major misunderstanding of the word tolerance, which failed to preserve the Christian backbone of Paul, what Paul is talking about here. 
but we are called to be people that love one another. And he says, beloved, in verse 19, beloved, he's intensifying the command. He says, leave it to God, as he goes on in verse 20. To the contrary, based on the mercies of God for you, you you are to show kindness to someone unfriendly to the gospel. And perhaps to even that fellow Christian that you just really can't get along with. Just perhaps, maybe, right? We aren't talking about violent criminals here. I'm not saying go to the jail and pick the most violent criminal and bring him over to your house for dinner. Okay, so don't take the words, don't, don't say, don't put words in my mouth. But we will experience people who are hostile to the gospel. We will. And if you haven't yet, maybe you should share the gospel. Because the gospel is either the sweetest news to people but it's also the most hated to others. The gospel is incredibly offensive to those who aren't saved. Who likes being told they're wrong? Who likes being told that they desperately need someone to save them? Who likes being told that they can't fix it? That's what the gospel says. But Paul comes... And he's really just drawing from Proverbs 25, verses 21 to 22. It says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. When we commit to one another in membership, we are committing to these things and helping one another to do these things by the mercies of God. We, so what you may ask yourself. The church membership is the MRI of a healthy church. If we, if, if we look at what church membership is as a commitment every Christian should make to attend and to love and to serve and to submit to a local church, and that the Bible, that biblically healthy church membership is important because the church presents God's witness to himself in this world, it displays his glory. We can see that the church membership is an MRI of a healthy church. And just as an MRI exposes the inside of a person's body, exposing how things are working, so does church membership to the health of the church. It exposes our health as we gather together, as we serve one another, as we love one another, as we submit to one another. It exposes our attitudes to worshiping God as we commit to gather together and and together are living sacrifices. It exposes how we serve one another and what are our attitudes as we are members one to another. Church membership is like that MRI. It exposes our attitudes and our hearts and our desires as we live in this world. And just as an MRI peers into the inner parts of our bodies, so does church membership. It shows the health of our church as we seek to be people together who have experienced the amazing mercies of our God. I was reminded of that today, right? That song, Let Us Count Them Someone remind me. Let me. That's it. Name your blessings one by one. We've been blessed so much. It's unbelievable. God saved you. He didn't have to. You deserved 
eternity in hell, yet he saved you. He didn't have to do that. He was well within his right to leave you there. But he pulls us out of that. He, he transfers us from a kingdom of darkness to his kingdom of light. He, he calls us, he, he transfers us from objects of wrath to, to adopted sons and daughters. And because we have experienced the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior who died for our sins and that rose again, we can live in this way. And in church membership, it enables us to live this way. Church membership is the MRI of a healthy church. So my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, each one of you, is that we would live as living sacrifices based upon the gifts that God has poured out on us. May our lives show the true marks of Christianity as we live with one another. May our witness be even brighter as we live in this world. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. We pray, Lord, that we would be uh, the people that you called us to be, but also that we would rest uh, in the fact that we are a people saved by your grace. And as we are people saved by your grace, Lord, may that, be, may that show in our lives as people who are being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want you to stand up with us if you're able as we reflect on what we heard from God's word this morning.